Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Hi, folks. It's Bob Vetter here. Before the podcast starts, I wanted to offer you something for free available on my website, www.bobvetter.com. It's a download of a game and map of the healer's journey called Sustos, named after the traumatic events that can lead to soul loss. The game provides insights in how we ourselves can be healed and how that process empowers us in our healing efforts with others. Get your free download at www.bobvetter.com. Now, let's get to our latest podcast episode. Welcome, listeners. I'm here today with Dr. Q. Dr. Q was born to an Austrian Catholic mother and a Persian Baha'i father. He spent his childhood in Iran, an Islamic country. His family had to flee Iran for Austria in 1979 due to the Islamic Revolution. Not fleeing would have meant certain execution for his father, if not the entire family. As a child, he already realized that nothing in life was ever certain. Life means constant change and overcoming challenges and adopting to new situations. Dr. Q battled with cancer from the ages of 16 through 19 while living in Austria. Having survived cancer at such an early stage in his life opened up his mind and soul for spirituality, everything that cannot be seen with one's eyes, a journey that he has been on ever since. Even though he pursued a regular academic training and career, hence his PhD, and eventually he started to share his experience of, and founding a successful tour operator business in the U.S., sorry, he continued to deepen his spiritual knowledge. Eventually, he started to share, share his experiences and knowledge with others and became a mentor for them. In 2013, he ended up in the ICU as a virus had attacked his body and caused major damage to his heart and lungs. He was once again lucky to survive. This experience caused him to seek his palm leaf reading, as he was told by his sisterly best friend, Amis Boda, that a reading could clean up one's karma. The reading was a profound and life-changing experience. He was told during his reading that he will bring Nadi astrology to the West, which he dismissed as he is not an Indian and has nothing to do with India apart from practicing meditation daily, practicing yoga for 25 years, and loving spicy Indian food. Yet the prediction has come true as he is now traveling the world talking about palm leaf readings. Dr. Q, welcome to the show. So glad to have you. Thank you so much, Robert, for having me on your show. It's an, a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to talk about Indian palm leaf readings or Nadi readings, Nadi astrology. In order to set the stage, I think it's very important for the audience, um, your esteemed tribe, I should say, <clears throat> to know who this guy is, a white guy, an average white guy who talks about something that's uh, profoundly Indian, and to be precise, Southern Indian. It's from the state of Tamil Nadu. In case you do not know where it is, it's the southernmost state in India. And it is similar to California's elongated, with one big difference, there are 85 million people in that one state alone. So it's twice the size of California. And um, as you already mentioned in your intro, yes, I, health has been my biggest challenge in life, uh, truly has. And um, also the revolution in Iran um, had a major impact on me too. When we fled from Iran to Austria, it meant having servants, because my dad was pretty wealthy, to nothing, because we fled with just two suitcases and that's it. So my mom became the breadwinner and I understand and experienced both sides to know what it means to have a lot of money and what it means to have absolutely no money at all and struggling to just um, make ends meet. 
some of the audience might be mature enough to remember uh, the biggest nuclear catastrophe that has ever happened till this date, and it's called Chernobyl, which is in a state that has been constantly in the news and most regrettably is in the news again now the Ukraine. At that time, it was part of the USSR. And that was in April of 1987, Chernobyl burst and then dumped its nuclear waste across Central Europe. And at the time, I lived in Vienna, Austria, which is in Central Europe. And uh, to give you an idea, Austria is about the size of Vermont. And um, that is the reason why I ultimately got cancer. I was diagnosed with lymphatic cancer. <clears throat> The reason why I know it has to do with Chernobyl is my cancer doctor, you need to imagine it, we're talking the 80s and I'm a 16 year old kid and I survived cancer. So I have a strong bond with my main uh, oncologist, hematologist for obvious reasons, because not very many people survive and outlive the predictions for such a long time. I'm now about to turn 51. So she told me, we became very good friends afterwards. And um, she told me that, uh, behind closed doors, I should say, because she was also a politician and became the Secretary of Health for Austria. And she told me, so that you know, uh, this has to do with Chernobyl. You can clearly see a spike in cancer rates all over Europe, but nobody talks about it because we don't want um, people to know about it or, or the, be any panic about this. So that's the reason why my cancer is uh, connected to, again, uh, a country that's embattled called the Ukraine. As you can imagine, when I was 16 and I was diagnosed with cancer shortly after having to flee Iran and just rerouting myself in, in, in a new country, uh, I said, God, why me? I mean, why is it me? Uh, you're angry. I was angry. I was upset. Um, of course, I was scared, um, uh, incredibly scared, depressed too, of course. Um, and then three years later, and I went through a lot of ordeal. It was not an easy, easy time at all. Chemotherapy, radiation surgeries. I spent about six months, it's a long, long time, as an inpatient, um, as a teenager. And I saw quite many people die too. And um, when I was finally uh, released from uh, hospital, after a thousand needle pricks in my veins, so my right arm is not really usable anymore for um, drawing blood because all the chemotherapy just destroyed the veins. Um, um, so I know what it means to have pain and, and be in pain. I said, God, why me? How come I survived? and others did not. Uh, that was a big question. That's a question that's been driving me ever since. And that's been the beginning of my journey, I guess, my spiritual journey, trying to pierce the veil, trying to figure out what is hidden, what is that I cannot see. And yet I profoundly understand that there is something that's bigger than us. And this journey has led me over the past 30 plus years to do um, crazy things too, like uh, a myriad of things, way more than the average person, I should say. I've visited John of God several times who is deemed to be the most famous, um, most powerful medium. He doesn't work anymore, but he uh, lives in Brazil. I've been to the shamans, you know, to shamans in the Amazon, uh, did some work there. I learned anything and everything that has to do with energy healing, distant healing, um, Reiki, you name it. Uh, group therapies, silent meditations, just trying to understand what it is that I cannot see and yet I can feel it that there is. It has to do with the mind, obviously. And um, so that's been my driving force, but I need to make a living too. So um, I would have most likely become a physician because I come from a physician's family, but three years in the hospital cured me for life to ever set foot in the hospital voluntarily again. So I took the academic route. Uh, hence the Dr. Q is not just a nickname or stage name like Dr. Dre or so, I earned it. Um, but then I had to realize that being an academic can be boring as hell and that's just not my universe. All the red tape that goes on behind the scenes, it was not for me. I loved you know, teaching the kids and um, lecturing, but the rest was just beyond me. So I turned, if you wish, my passion into my business and that's travel. I traveled across the globe. I've been to, I don't know, I'm sure over hundred countries and um, um, ended up in Washington DC where we ran a, uh, an academic travel business. Then I got sick. And that's in uh, 2013 at the time I met a girl from um, Hungary. That's uh, the reason why I now live in Budapest, the capital city of Hungary. Beautiful city, by the way, beautiful country. Please come and visit. Uh, if you haven't been here yet, I can highly recommend as a professional traveler also, but also just as an expat living here. The, um, when I was visiting her, she could see that I wasn't 
feeling too well. I was sweating. Uh, you know, my heart was uh, racing. I had fever and the chills. And she said, Q, this is not good. You need to hop on the train and go back to your cancer hospital and get yourself checked out. This is more than just a cold. I couldn't believe her, didn't believe her, but yet I did it. So that, you know, uh, Vienna, Budapest are like Washington, DC, New York, about that distance. So I hopped on the train, took the Metro, believe it or not, to my cancer hospital where they welcomed me like a VIP because they've known me for decades. And they um, gave me special treatment, fast treatment. And they uh, realized right away that something's majorly wrong. The um, heart specialist. And he said, Dr. Wyatt, uh, that you are alive is a miracle. you got to stay here. You ain't going to go. You're not going anywhere. I said, really? I don't feel that bad. I said, no, no, no. That's it. You are staying here, period. And it was, I was very lucky because that day I collapsed. Had I not been already in the hospital, uh, and I, had I stayed in, in, in Budapest, Hungary, I might be dead now. What was going on is my uh, heart was impacted by virus, and uh, we do not know which virus. And so um, the, um, the virus had caused myocarditis, which means um, the inflammation of your heart sac, heart muscle. And um, I had water in the heart sac and uh, I had pneumonia and also water in my lungs. And uh, a couple of days later, they rushed me into the ICU because they could not um, control it. And the only thing I could do is just um, put me um, under, if you wish, sedate me because my fever was so high uh, that I was in a delirium for weeks. I was battling it myself. And they said, either I can do it myself or regrettably, there is no cure for it per se. And it was when they rushed me to the ICU, I told myself, um, man, I don't understand what's going on here. <clears throat> I've been in hospital more than most people. And um, I thought that's it, really. That's the last time um, I'm in hospital. I will never come out anymore. While I was in the ICU, I connected the dots and I said, this must have to do with karma because in this lifetime, I think I'm a pretty nice guy. I'm a helper. Everyone says that I have daddy's genes, meaning I, I really go out of my way to help people. And um, so when I connected the dots and my girlfriend, Emma, she was um, visiting me and washing me too. It's a very humbling experience, by the way if you cannot wash yourself and somebody else needs to do it for you. Um, I'm very grateful for all that you did at that time. She said, you know what? You should uh, get a palm reading because you can clean your karma if that's what you think. And then I said, palm reading, what is that? She said, I told you already a year ago and uh, it seems you didn't hear it. I said, well, yeah, you're right because I'm a sucker for anything spiritual. I hear it, I do it right away. And then I did not hear that. That says everything about it. Um, and again, it shows me that everything starts with a thought. It just did not sink in. And then afterwards, I realized that I also read a book written by Deepak Chopra, whom I've met in the meantime a few times, who in his book in 2003 called The Book of Secrets, talked about his own naughty reading. I survived, otherwise I wouldn't be here today. <clears throat> and so I got a, a reading. And the reading blew my mind. And I tell you all this so that uh, you understand that when I say so, I really mean it because I have quite an extensive experience when it comes to experiences in general. Um, <clears throat> and in the reading, the reader who does not know anything about me or, or anyone, anything about anyone who gets a reading done told me, well, you're gonna bring this to the West. Of course, I thought he's just um, um, uh, um, kidding with me um, because I am not an Indian at all. And yet here I am talking to you about it. He also told me that I've been living in Hungary. And given that he's an Indian guy and I can bet with you, had I shown him the world map and if I had said, can you pinpoint on this big map, Europe? I'm 99% sure he would not have been able to do so. So when a guy who doesn't even really know where Europe is on the big world map tells you, you're gonna be living in Hungary, that's a mind blowing thing, especially since I already had made up my mind uh, um, to move to Hungary. So I knew this was the right decision. I'm still here, by the way. So I'm talking to you now from Budapest um, in Hungary. Then uh, fast forwarding, my experience was so phenomenal that I shared it with my enthusiasm with friends and family. They all wanted to get a reading done too. And I said, great, you know, let's hop on a plane and uh, we'll get it organized. And that's when I realized that most Western people will never go to India, period. 
either because the weather's too hot, the food's too spicy, uh, too dirty, too poor, God knows why. I'm an Indian lover, um, but most people are not. So then I had to figure out, can I help my friends and family through Skype maybe? So uh, the reader said, sure, we can do it on Skype. <clears throat> and then I said in every reading too, because I realized people had a hard time understanding the Indian English called Hinglish. So I reinterpreted everything that was said to make sure that they understood the reading. And during this, I also realized that even though phonetically they understood what was going on, not necessarily did they get the message like intellectually, spiritually um, at all. So I then, given my vast experience in um, spiritual matters, I then re, I guess, phrase things, trying to help them understand the deeper meaning of the message that they received. And out of this experience, the moderator role in our institute came about <clears throat> because in our institute, where we do the readings online, I have a brick and mortar office in Southern India, of course, in the state of Tamil Nadu, where all the readers and the interpreters come to, to conduct the readings. We have a Western moderator who sits in every single live reading from the very first moment to the very last, rephrasing things, making sure that the seeker, the seeker is the person who gets the reading, understands it all and holds their hands from the beginning till the end. So there are three people in every reading that we conduct now online. <clears throat> How, let me tell you a little bit about the, the history of it. Legend has it, because there is no written documentation uh, about this at all, but legend has it that two to 3,000 years ago, so-called Maharishis, Maharishis are great sages, meditated to Hindu gods. And again, you need to look at this through uh, historical eyes. 3,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, Southern Indian only knew of Hinduism. Hence, of course, they called upon what they knew. So they called upon Shiva, his wife Parvati, their son uh, Ganesha, or Murugan, or Vishnu, or God knows which one, but primarily Shiva. And through the power of Shiva, they were then able to access the Akashic records and then download the information and then have it written on palm leaves. Why palm leaves? Because Two, 3,000 years ago, there was no other means to preserve information, no paper. So they used what they had in abundance, palm trees and the leaves of palm trees. So what they did is they cut those gigantic palm leaves into small <clears throat> parts, which is about 10 to 15 inches long and about an inch or so wide. And while the, the, the leaf was still juicy and fresh, they etched the information into the leaf using a very sharp tool. And when the leaf then dried up, the information came through. How cool is that? Already two, 3,000 years ago, they knew how to uh, do organic things without the need of ink or anything else. They used what they had um, handy. And then these leaves were then put together in so-called bundles or books. And in one bundle or book, you will only find leaves of people that share the same thumbprint name. I'm going to go deeper into all that just to give you an idea. So they're called bundles or books. And the book is named after the Maharishi, the great sage who wrote it. The most famous Maharishi is Maharishi Agastyar, a genius and way ahead of his time. And he's like a GP, if you wish. He wrote the most leaves. So if you get a reading, your first reading, 95% certainty will be written by Maharishi Agastyar. So they put similar souls, if you wish, <clears throat> you're not related to them, but similar souls into one bundle. Then they used wood to um, protect the top and the bottom. And in between two uh, wooden sticks, you have up to 108 individual dried palm leaves. That's the maximum number that a bundle has. Usually it's way less, 40 to 60, 70 maybe, because over time they disintegrate and then we lose them. And these bundles were then tied together, now protected on top and the bottom. I can show um, you Bob here <clears throat> with wood tied together. And these bundles are now stored in archives and libraries across for the most part, Southern India, which is now called the state of Tamil Nadu because it is an intrinsically Tamil thing. 
over the centuries, of course, Tamils have moved. So they took some of these bundles with them. So you can find bundles now all over India and even in Sri Lanka, because we've got Tamil people in Sri Lanka too, or Bali, far away, because there are Tamils too. But the hub, the center, is in a town called Vaitishvarankoil, which is in the central parts of that big state. And my office in India is very close to that town too. So that's the legend. And when you think of a, an archive or a library, you think of temperature controlled security guards, water dispensers, and all the rest of it. Well, think India, and that's the opposite of what you might be used to. I call India disorganized chaos, but somehow this disorganized chaos works. Don't ask me how, but it does. So we're talking hundreds, if not thousands of small little archives and libraries, primarily owned by private individuals. And they have from you know, a few dozen to maybe a couple thousand of these bundles and they safeguard them because that is how they make their living. These are reader families, reader dynasties where the great grandfather teaches, taught the grandfather, the father, the son and so forth. So it's a generational thing. Now more and more outsiders can also learn how to become a reader. Uh, that is the person who can find your bundle, match your leaf and then, and then uh, read it to you. But in the old days, it was um, 90 plus percent uh, family uh, business. So these are the archives. There are state archives, so big ones, uh, or university libraries, of course, too. But for all intents and purposes, we're talking small, back room somewhere, holes in the wall sometimes, and there is no register or computer system at all, which means everything goes by hearsay. Where are these libraries? They go and check them out to find bundles. Now let's talk about the search and how the, the whole process. The process that we use is the exact same process as if you were in India. And it's the same process that's been in place for almost 3000 years, hasn't changed since. It's a three-part process, search, matching, and reading. How to start the search is by submitting your thumbprint. Gentlemen, they're right. Ladies, they're left thumbprint. This has to do with Hinduism and karma. That's how I distinguish souls, female and male souls. So you would go to reader's office. In our case, you would upload it online and submit your thumbprint. So the reader only knows which gender you have and your thumbprint. That's it. Then he would take a closer look at your thumbprint and identify your thumbprint name. There are 108 different thumbprint category names. Again, 108 comes up again because it's a spiritual number in Hinduism. Once he knows your thumbprint category name, he then goes on a physical search, physical, which means he enters these tiny libraries. First, his own library, if he has one, then he goes to his neighbors, then, then he hops on his bicycle, believe it or not, that's a physical act. Um, if he has to go further away, he would hop on his moped, or go on a public bus, you know, the, those uh, scary things in India and go to the next town and enter libraries. And if uh, he cannot find the bundle that matches your thumbprint name, he would then call, today he would call an agent and say, agent, uh, can you please check in your neighborhood, three hours, four hours away from uh, his hometown, whether you can find a bundle that matches this particular thumbprint name. That's a search, so it's a physical act, no computer system, no register of any kind. Over time, of course, the reader knows where to go because they've done it so many times. Like my most senior reader is a guru, a guruji, which is a, the most advanced reader you can be. He has like 25,000 readings, a lot. So he, uh, he just knows uh, where, where to go because he would know which library does not even have a bundle that matches this uh, thumbprint. Uh, one or two words about a reader too. Uh, to become a reader is not an easy thing. Uh, you study five to seven years, give or take. You need to find your own guru, your own master. By the way, guru is um, frequently misused, abused in the West uh, and the meaning of it. Guru means nothing more, nothing less than a teacher with original thought. That's what a guru is. So you need to find a guru, a teacher with original thought who then is willing to share his knowledge and wisdom with his student to then for the person to become a reader. Once you graduate, you're called a reader. And if you're good at what you do after some time, that takes years usually, your peers will start referring to you as Swami, Swamiji, teacher. And that is an honorary title. 
meaning that you're very good at what you do. So you become a Swami. And after, again, many years, and if you do an outstanding job, your peers will then start calling you Guru Guruji, which means you are above everyone else. In my office, I have one Guru and everyone else are Swamis. Although one Swami just graduated to becoming a Guru himself, but in our office, he cannot be dressed as Guru because you can only have one Guru in a reading office. But outside the office, they refer to me as Guru now too. So that's a little bit about Guru, uh, about uh, readers. The reason why it's so complex, I'll explain as well, because these leaves were written two, 3,000 years ago in a language that doesn't exist anymore today. They speak modern Tamil today in Tamil Nadu. And Tamil Nadu is a little different to the rest of the country because Tamils are very proud people. And it's the only state where there is no mandatory teaching at, in school during school years of Hindi. Hindi would be the, uh, the language that Indians have in common when they travel uh, um, across states because there are many dialects and many languages within that uh, country. But Tamil say, screw that. We're not going to teach our students, our kids uh, Hindi. If they come and visit Tamil Nadu, they need to learn Tamil. Or if we go outside of Tamil Nadu, they then would communicate in English, believe it or not. So Tamils are very proud people. Hence, these leaves are written in ancient Tamil, known as Granta. Ancient Tamil doesn't exist anymore. It's similar to Greek, modern Greek, and ancient Greek. If you are a modern Greek person, you don't read, write, or understand ancient Greek. You go to university and study ancient Greek. That is even tougher than studying Latin because of my own uh, studies. I had to study Latin. I was pretty fluent in Latin too, but Greek was just too, too tough for me to study. Um, so that means it takes years to study ancient Tamil known as Granta. Tamil, ancient Tamil, is a sound-based language similar to Chinese Mandarin and very much unlike all Western languages. They're all letter-based, A, B, C, D, hence English too. Greek as well, and even Persian, because I'm Persian, have Persian, and I speak only Persian too. Um, so they're an ancient language, doesn't exist anymore, syllabic language, which makes it very hard to convert into a Western meaning. Three, these leaves are written in a poetic way, like a poem, sing-song, not in simple prose. That would be wonderful if it said, this leaf belongs to Robert. It's not that easy, regrettably. Plus, in order to be able to compress so much information about a human being onto such a tiny leaf that's, again, one more time, only about 10, 15 inches long or about an inch or so wide, they're not standardized, by the way, either. Some could be longer, shorter, uh, wider. Um, and uh, so they need to use symbols. So a reader needs to learn all of that. Hence, it takes many, many years. Plus, a reader needs to study all of Vedic astrology, which is um, Indian astrology. He needs to study a lot of Ayurveda because all the health recommendations are based on Ayurvedic principles. He needs to study the five elements. Uh, yoga, he needs to understand the fundamentals of yoga, numerology, gemology. So it's a very intense and also very um, honorable profession to be in. So that person then finds a bundle the person, the reader, and brings the bundle or bundles, usually it's two or three, back to the office. And when they find the bundle, the search part, the first step of the three is done. He would then call you, you would walk into the office. And when you think office, you again might have wow, water dispenser, air conditioning and so forth. It's a hole in the wall. That's the reality of it. Because many times people contact us and say, oh, I'd rather fly there and do it myself, you know, be in front of the person. It's by far not as romantic as you might think because I did it in person. And, uh, and um, given that I have cancer and chemotherapy, I'm very, very sensitive to, uh, to scent. And even if you just light one candle, uh, one of those incense sticks, I run. But the bugger in the office lit 20 of them. I, I thought I was going, I was going nuts. Uh, and it's hot as hell. Like we're talking super high temperatures, 100 or more. Humidity is terrible. Mosquitoes everywhere. Uh, so it's not as romantic as you might think it is, the reality of it. Um, but in the office, if you were Indian, you will sit across from him and then the reader would open up the bundle and the bundle then contains dozens of individual leaves and each leaf represents a soul. You're all, um, every single leaf in that bundle, every single soul is connected. So you are somewhat, if you wish, soul sisters, soul brothers, but you're not related to them at all. It could be a lady from France, a gentleman from Australia, God knows. They might not even be alive this very moment when you get your reading done. 
They're just similar. They, the one thing that they have all in common is their thumbprint name. That's very important. The, the secret in all this lies in your thumbprint. So we'll look at the leaf, which again, he has to decode. It's very complex. And then he would read out statements to you. And the only job you as the seeker have is to say yes or no to the statement, correct or incorrect, right or wrong. One more thing that I should explain. The reason why I call it Indian palm leaf reading is when I realize this is bigger than me and so many people want to get a reading done, we then put it into a formal structure because I uh, lived in the U.S. and I moved from the U.S. to here. It's based in the United States, um, you know, accounting, CPA, all of that taxation is all in the, in, the, in the U.S. So I thought to myself, how can I explain what I'm doing? Because nobody knows what I'm doing. So we gave it a literal name, Indian palm leaf reading. So hopefully people understand it's from India. These are palm leaves, not the palms of your hand or tea leaves. And yet they still mix it up all the time. You have no idea how many times people send me a picture of their hand saying, can you, can you give me a reading? I was like, man, please read uh, my website first before you contact me. But in India, nobody calls it Indian palm leaf reading. They call it Nadi astrology, Nadi reading, Nadi Shastra, many other uh, names too. But Nadi is important for me to explain to you because Nadi has several meanings. Nadi means seeker. That's the person who wants to get a reading done. They have a calling, an inner calling to get a reading done because they're at the crossroads. Nadi also means the leaf itself that contains the message. Nadi also means, and that's the important part, the exact moment in time when the message is given to the seeker. Not a day before, not a day later. Exact moment in time. Nadi also means pulse, for example, you know, human's pulse. So as you can see, it's quite complex and it explains um, in more detail what the experience is. So there's a connection of the universe manifested, downloaded onto a palm leaf and then um, conveyed to the seeker. So when you sit in front of the reader, he goes through each leaf step by step by reading out statements because um, the, the leaf describes the seeker's situation at the time of the reading. So for example, a statement could be, you are married because this leaf belongs to a person who is married. And if you are married at the time of the reading, you will say yes. If you're not married at the time of the reading, you will say no. So yes, no, right, wrong, correct, or incorrect. No need to give any more information than that. Let's say you're going through divorce, but are still married. No need to say, yes, I'm married, but I'm going through divorce. No need uh, to say any of that at all. As long as you say yes to a statement, he stays on it. If you say no to a statement, because it doesn't match with you, then he flips over and goes to the next leaf. So let's say you say, it says you have two kids and you don't have two kids, then it's not you, flips on to the next one. But for as long as you say yes, he stays on and goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And boom, then he ends up on a leaf where every single statement is a yes from your end. And that is called a match. And before I tell you what the reader tells you, please remember one more time, the reader only knows your gender and your thumbprint. That's all the reader knows. No date of birth, none of it, zero, zilch. He then tells you, and that is the mind-boggling part, your first name, your mother's first name, your father's first name, your date of birth, your time of birth, your weekday of birth, your partner, ex-partner, disease partner's name, kids, how many gender, siblings, how many gender. In short, it takes your breath away. And sure, it took my breath away because my father's name is Siavash, he's Persian. And I guarantee you, this Indian dude has never heard the name in his life before. And when I was sitting... Uh, in the reading, and he said, dum -badam -badam -badam, you know, in a sing song, and then Siavash, I was like blown away uh, that he even could pronounce uh, the name of my father. Bam -badam -badam, your mother's name is Gisela. Unbelievable. So that is match. Then your leaf has been found. Step two comes to an end, and then you do the reading. Matching and reading happen in one session. In our case, since we do it online, we need to set aside three to four hours because matching takes on average about an hour, give or take. Then we have a bit of a break. So people are usually overwhelmed after that experience. When somebody far away in India pronounces their names and parents' names without knowing boo about, um, about them. And then we have the reading and the reading takes about an hour, an hour and a half or so, depending on how many questions a seeker has at the end of the reading. And the reading is um, based on three aspects, three. 
on the overall energies of the seeker at the time of the reading. Not the mood, whether you had your morning coffee or not makes no difference. Whether you had to fight with your spouse or not makes no difference. That's your mood, your energies, because according to our system, your energies change every six months. Again, Nadi at the exact moment in time, not a day before, not a day later. That means it could be that during a six month period, there is no leaf written for you. So you need to be in a six month period where there is a leaf for you. And the search for such a bundle, by the way, takes quite a while. On average, one to two months, it takes a while. Uh, can it be that it's one day? Of course it can be, but is it likely? No, not, not really. So on average, you gotta be a little patient and patience is a virtue, I know that. One to two months, we will then let you know once bundles have been found. But we look for six months for bundles, for six months, because that is the period, the length of the energetic cycle that we believe in. If there is no bundle when you have a search with us, don't despair. It just means not now. You can resubmit new thumbprints and then boom, a week later, you might find bundles for you because you're in a difference in a new energetic cycle. So it's based on your energies. Two, it's based on your thumbprint. The, the magic, the secret, and all of these, all of this lies in your thumbprint and your thumbprint name, which I'll explain also, because your thumbprint is the constant in your life, is like your genetic imprint, is your baseline. You need to embrace it. It's neither good nor bad, it just is, and it explains you why your life is more or less the way it is, because it explains your soul in generic terms pretty well. And last but not least, it's also based on Vedic astrology and the planets, because they have a big impact on, on us too. On Indian astrology, mind you, not on Western astrology. And the big difference is Indian astrology is based on uh, moon and um, Western astrology on the sun. And Vedic astrology, since uh, I guess you have, uh, you have a very interested uh, audience here, is a new term, really. Vedic astrology came about in the 70s uh, because Ayurveda became hip in the West. So they renamed Indian slash Hindu astrology into Vedic astrology because it sells better. Now everyone calls it Vedic astrology. Uh, but in reality, it's, it's Indian astrology and it's uh, thousands of years old. So based on these three, the reader then interprets the leaf and gives you a possible, a very likely life trajectory from the moment you get the reading done, Nadi, until there is no more reading on the leaf, which could mean it's the end of your life, but not necessarily. And this trajectory comes in increments of years, two, three year increments. <clears throat> what we offer is a whole life reading, which means it covers all aspects of life. Spirituality, health, family, kids, grandchildren, career, money, education, you name it, the whole nine yards. And it tells you the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it. Life, as you and I both know, Rob, Bob, because we're, um, um, we've been around uh, for a while, Life's not just milk and honey. It's not. Life is meant to be, uh, show us, teach us to overcome obstacles, really. Um, so the reader, uh, during a reading, you're being told the good, the bad, and the ugly. Good means good periods in your life. For whatever, for X, writing a book, moving, finding a partner, starting a family, expanding your business, whatever. Whether you utilize that knowledge or not is up to you because there won't be a reader next to you with a gun against your forehead saying, I told you five years ago, this is the best time in your life to write a book or to move or start a family. If you utilize it, good for you. If not, also good for you because your life is not, and that's very important for me to share over and over again, is not set in stone. It's not. You have free will, you've got choice. And the only person who creates the reality that you experience is you and no one else through your own thoughts, actions, non-actions. If you don't do anything, still something's going to happen, your belief system. But the power in a reading lies uh, in the fact that you can then create a better life trajectory for yourself after your reading. That's the whole purpose of it. It's a healing tool, meaning it's a tool that helps you as a vehicle for you to make adjustments to your life and change things around so that you can create a better life trajectory for yourself, whatever better means to you. For me, very simple, because that was my um, intention when I had my reading, is just not to be in hospital again. That's it. Um, and the bad, if a bad uh, uh, um, period is mentioned in, in your reading, that basically means a block. 
or an obstacle, a block in health, a block in relationship, a block in making money, finding the right job, moving, or, or whatever. Don't get stressed out. Embrace this knowledge and be grateful that somebody tells you already now, today, on your reading, during your reading, that you carry these blocks with you because you can then do something about it now. For each block identified in your reading, there is the last chapter in your uh, palm leaf deals with remedies. We call them pujas, homework. So each remedy, each puja addresses a, a block, an obstacle identified in your reading. I, having gone through quite some challenging times in my life, I have come to realize that there is, um, that I am the common factor of everything that happens to me. Chernobyl had nothing to do with me, and yet I got sick. Most others did not, but I did because I was there. Iran revolution happened. It was not my fault either. I got raped you know, by a system that has nothing to do with me, and yet I was forced, we were forced to flee. I was in it. It didn't impact most of the rest of the world, but it impacted me. Uh, being in hospital, it was again me. So what I understand and I want to convey to everyone out there, if you can embrace, as I've embraced myself, that it doesn't matter what happens to you, you are ultimately the one who tracks it. So if something good happens to me, then I embrace it. I say, thank you, Lord, because I created it. I deserve and I enjoy this beautiful moment in my life. Very well knowing that it won't last forever. And if something that I don't want, again, for example, being sick or so, I also accept that it's me, even though I didn't do it like in, in like from a legal point of view, I didn't do it or society's point of view. I'm a victim. I get raped if you wish, but yet I, I, I embrace, I accept that I play a role in this, which means if something is good in my life, my energies in that part of my life are in flow. It's like a perfect sinus curve. But if not, that means my own energies are off in health, in relationships, in money, in whatever. And once you embrace that and accept it, you can do something about it because then you're not a victim anymore. So all it means is you then shift the energies and a puja is nothing more than that. It helps you shift your energies so that you can unblock the block and attract different energies and find healing uh, and hence be able to create a better life trajectory for yourself. So that is actually the most powerful part of the reading is the remedy part at the end of your reading. And these remedies, allow me to explain a little more because that they are really the most powerful part of your reading. Puja, P-O-O-J-A, Puja. Uh, you can also uh, spell it P-U-G-A, but uh, uh, it can, both are correct, P-O-O-G-A. Um, literally translated mean prayer ceremony or ceremonial act. I explain it to our seekers as energy shifting exercise. That's what they are. Because they address a block, help you to unblock. And these pujas come in different shapes and forms. They could be, um, there is one puja, one type of puja that's called temple puja that you yourself need to do, temple puja. Because if you were in India, you will go to temple and perform it in a temple yourself. You don't need to be an Indian to be able to do so because most Indians also have a puja room, a temple at home. You can create it yourself. And it could be just as simple as putting the picture of the god or goddess on the wall. You may add, if you want to, candles, incense, tea lights, flowers, fruits, or nothing. It's still a puja room. It's still a temple. It's still an altar at home. So uh, these temple pujas could be reciting a mantra dedicated to a god or goddess in Hinduism. And each god or goddess represents a way to overcome the obstacle. So for example, if you have partnership issues, either you want to find a partner or your relationship isn't going so well, then there would be a Lord Murugan mantra. Murugan is the second son of Shiva and Parvati. If you have any issues with your children or you want to have children, you would have Guru Darshnamuti helping you to unblock and then either have children or overcome the issues that you have with your kids. 
So each obstacle has its own God that represents a way for you to help overcome um, the, the obstacle. So that's a mantra puja, but it could also mean, uh, a puja could also be a physical act because a puja means prayer ceremony or ceremonial act. So in my reading, and I always share that with everyone because it was, um, and I had nobody like you do now explaining things to me. I was there like a naive, a blind, just stumbling upon a reading and then boom, he, I was bombarded with all this information. I had no clue what to do with it. Uh, yet I embraced it because it was really a, a life-changing experience. So a ceremonial act means doing something physically. So the reader, I remember very well in my reading, the reader told me, apart from the, the mantras that I had to recite to certain gods and goddesses, at a certain time, you know, it would say five Thursdays in a row, do puja to Guru Darshnamuti. Eight Saturdays in a row, do puja to Hanuman to help overcome the negative impact of Saturn or so. And you must do them exactly as prescribed. No wiggle room at all. Even though India is pretty chaotic, the pujas are very Germanic. So one step at a time, exactly as prescribed. No way uh, that you can change them around. And you can, only, you can only continue with the next cycle once the first cycle has been completed. That is your way of showing the universe that you're serious about your healing. By simply following what's been... Um, prescribed to you in your reading as your puja cycles. And the physical act could mean, um, for example, if you have issues with kids, um, feed cow and baby cow, mother cow and baby cow with spinach and hay. Now, if you live in New York City, that's a bit of a challenge, but you need to figure it out. If you live in a rural part, not so hard. But that is for you to show the universe, I'm serious about it, and I shall do on two consecutive Thursdays or whatever, feed cow and baby cow with spinach and hay. You will figure it out, I assure you. Um, or uh, in my case, I'm more than happy to share my own experience. The reader told me on two consecutive Wednesdays, feed the needy. You know, you need to picture me. I had no idea what this guy's talking about. And I said, what, what do you mean by feed the needy? Should I do soup kitchen, donate money? All he said, or the interpreter rather, because the Indian, the, the reader doesn't speak English. Um, you will figure it out. So here I am after the reading, I moved to Hungary, to Budapest. I don't speak the language. I don't know anyone apart from my girlfriends. Uh, and I'm stressed because you got to follow exactly as prescribed to you. And these two Wednesdays were coming up. And then uh, the day before, literally it, it hit me, it dawned on me what I can do because I'd been observing an elderly lady in the cafe that I used to go to uh, that struck me as not having money. So on that Wednesday, I just told the waiter, I'm going to pay for her lunch. Just don't tell her I'm going to pay for lunch. So I was helping the needy at the moment it was needed. And just to observe her reaction when she turned around and when she wanted to pay, it was nothing like a super sandwich, a coffee or something. I don't remember. Uh, and then the waiter said, no, no, it's already paid. I don't speak Hungarian, but I could observe you know, the uh, interaction. And he didn't tell her that's the guy over there. He just said, no, no, it's already paid. It's all good. You know, it made me feel so wonderful. It was a, uh, an incredible experience for me to observe, to see her being so uh, surprised and uh, like a divine intervention. Why me? You know, it was just a beautiful connection between her and me, even though I do not know her at all. So then I've been doing this ever since for the past eight years, randomly, once in a while, you know, when I observe somebody needs something, I just pay for their coffee. It doesn't cost any, it costs five bucks or so. And I also share the experience uh, when I was um, uh, lining up, because I go back to the U.S. all the time, at Charbucks, you might know Charbucks, over-roasted, overpriced coffee, formerly known as, uh, as Starbucks. Uh, so I had this, <laughs> I had this uh, couple, they were uh, bickering, you know, they, they were like in a fight while you're in line. And they were like, you know, you could tell there was tension and they were not doing uh, so great. I just paid for their coffee. And, and when they realized that a complete stranger paid for their coffee, oh my God, it, it, it changed their entire uh, energies. Um, it caught them off guard. And by doing so, it helped them to step out of their, you know, the, the bubble they were in and hopefully helped save their relationship or whatever uh, they were actually um, going through. So I can only recommend everyone out there, do it. It doesn't cost much, but it uh, might be a life changer for the person you do it for. So that's a physical act you can do. And one last funny one, if you wish, the reader told me I need to give on five consecutive Fridays fruit and candy to at least five children. Now, I'm a middle-aged white guy who has moved into 
uh, a country he does not know. And I thought to myself, boy, boy, that's gonna be challenging. If I walk around in Budapest and just offer candy to kids, before I know it, the police will be here and deport me um, uh, out of Hungary. So, but I figured out, of course you do, because I really did wanted to stick to uh, all the pujas exactly as prescribed. What I did is I uh, called, I, I found orphanages and kindergartens and says, look, I'm not, a, I'm not a weird foreigner here. I do what's called a puja, I do a healing ceremony and that's why I do it. Is it okay for me to bring over a sack full of fruit and candy and you give it to all the kids here because it's minimum five. And of course, they were delighted. They were, uh, they said, amazing. Thank you, for sure. So you see, you figure things out if and when you are motivated enough to bring healing to your life. And I was, certainly I was. So that's the power of, of puja. That's, these are called temple pujas that you need to do yourself. But there could, you could also be prescribed an optional. Not everyone is, but many are. A supportive so-called mantra puja. And a mantra puja can only be performed by priests in a temple. And a mantra puja could either be a fire ceremony, which is a one of fire ceremony where the priest creates a fire in a temple and then recites the, 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 the puja that you were prescribed in your reading. And that ceremony takes about 45 minutes or so. He buys the necessary 180 ingredients for his assistance, creating a fire. And fire, of course, is a symbol for overcoming, burning um, uh, the blocks and bringing healing to you. But a mantra puja could also be a, um, a setting where the priest goes to the temple for either 108 days, every single day, twice a day, sunrise, sunset, and recites the mantra that you were prescribed. So a mantra puja is an energy shifting exercise done by the priest on your behalf, while a temple puja is an energy shifting exercise that's done by you, for you. Can you imagine? So a priest would walk into the temple twice a day, sunrise, sunset, and reciting the mantra that was prescribed to you. And it would, of course, buy the necessary ingredients too, coconut, ghee, flowers, and so forth. Or it could be 144 days long. And all you need to do is just uh, be there on the first day for meditation and on the last day say thank you uh, for uh, this healing exercise. So that's the mantras that you might be prescribed at the end of your reading. And with that, I've come to an end of me talking about this beautiful experience. And I'm open to answer questions if you might have any. Yeah, I, I have a million questions, but let's, sure. uh, let's get to the heart of my question, which really mm -hmm. has to do with um, understanding the relationship between this action and karma itself. In other words, for the, the concept of karma tells us that for every action, there is a reaction that I set up and ought, through this automatic mechanism, I set up a response in the future. Now, you mentioned early on in your discussion that what mm -hmm. your girlfriend told you was that you needed to do this uh, this palm leaf reading in order mm -hmm. to resolve your, your own karma, if yes, I understand great. correctly. Yeah. Great question. Yes. So, mm -hmm. so my question has to do with how does this short, how does this create a shortcut to karma in a way that makes sense? Sure, 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 sure. Uh, again, I try to be as brief as I possibly can because it's a very, very complex um, matter to talk about. If indeed you carry karma from a previous life, a strong negative karma that is emphasis lies on strong because if it's a smaller negative karma you can overcome you can undo through your good deeds throughout your life now and for example if you are in a service uh, profession already as a profession like a teacher fireman police officer physician nurse therapist massage therapist yoga teacher whatever so service meaning helping others that in itself creates good karma, unless of course you are a not good person, which only very few are not who are in a service related industry. You know, there's always people who malpractice or do you know, crazy things, uh, but I'm not talking about the minority, I'm talking about just in general, the energies of if you are a physician, hopefully money and screwing other people over is not your main drive, but to help others should be your main drive. Same thing for a yoga teacher, fireman and so forth. So if we stick to that, then you already create good karma because you're in a service-related industry and you can help overcome possible smaller negative karma that you carried over from a previous life. 
If you have good karma, because karma is not just bad karma, then enjoy, because that does not need any healing. You already created it for yourself, and now you can benefit from it. But strong negative karma, if you carry it from a previous life over into this life, then that is written in your leaf too. And then the reader will give you a detailed karmic reading, meaning your name, your gender, the country you lived in, the, the period you lived in, your social status, your job, and what you then ultimately did to find yourself in this vicious cycle this lifetime. In my case, health, really. So yes, I did have strong negative karma. The reader told me the story. And then you get pujas to help overcome the negative karma. Because in our system, we believe you can fix things because you, we are here every single lifetime. We're here to overcome things. So there is no, even though I'm half Catholic too and half behind all that I understand, but I'm beyond religion because I'm, I'm not into organized religion at all. I'm, I'm a believer in, in energies. So in, in, in our system here, we say, of course, you're here to fix things. And hence, you can overcome karma right away. Once you are, notice it, you know what you did, you know, okay, that is the reason why. And I'm truly, like you really mean it, want to overcome it. So in my reading, to give you an example, in my reading, the reader told me, you know, my life trajectory. And apart from telling me that, oh, by the way, you're going to bring this to the West and you're going to move to Hungary. He told me at age 77 to 79. And mind you, I had my reading done shortly after coming out of hospital where I couldn't even move, by the way. It was a terrible time too. It took me years to be able to move and I can show you what I can do now, but I could not move at all because when they put you um, under for weeks on, on end and you cannot move at all, your body goes go stiff. And it was terrible, very painful therapies that I had to go through to just be able to move again. And yoga also helped me a, a great deal. Now, um, Caring, uh, uh, and, uh, in my reading, 77 to 79, he said, oh, you get a heart attack and die. Now, I was there because of a virus that impacted my heart and my lungs. So I was impressed that this guy who has no clue who I am tells me, 77, 79, high probability of you dying of a heart attack. So I said, yep, makes sense. I embrace it. But he said, if you do, and it's also karmic uh, related, if you do this puja really with your entire heart, then you can overcome it. So it'd either be no heart attack at all or a minor heart attack that you can recover from. And you might even receive the gift of longevity. Gift of longevity in our system means that the reader cannot tell you the time bracket where you pass on. It's usually 82 plus, give or take. He would then say, oh, gift of longevity, I can see till 82, something is written, but then nothing anymore. It doesn't mean that your life ends at 82 because he tells you it's gift of longevity which means 82 in a day or 99 years of age. He cannot tell you anymore. A person can have more than just one reading because uh, there are 18 main Maharishis. So if you're lucky, more than one Maharishi wrote a leaf for you. There are actually a couple of, several hundred Maharishis, but 18 are deemed to be the main ones. So a person can have several readings throughout their lifetime. I personally had two, one that set it all in motion for me. And then the second one about five years ago or so, and when the reader, again, two different readers, they do not know each other, two different Maharishis wrote it. Uh, although the second reading already had started my institute, uh, like legally established institute, the reader looked up in astonishment. He was, he was confused. Again, an Indian guy sitting in front, or a white guy sitting in, uh, across from an Indian guy, it's live reading uh, in the office, you might remember with incense and all the rest of it. <clears throat> so it's um, suffering to some degree for me. He looked up at me because he couldn't believe it. He said, you do this? He said, you do this. Unbelievable. He knew, I said, no, not, I mean, I'm not a reader, but yes, I have an institute that provides a service. Mind-blowing. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. And then in the reading, he said, oh, you have the gift of longevity. Uh, he could see till 82, but no more heart attack. He did not mention that. And so that shows me that my aim to have a better life trajectory after my first reading was accomplished because no heart attack apparently and, um, and I could extend my, my life. And maybe I have the calling for another reading at some point. I don't have a calling now, but maybe, and then see how life trajectory changes 
um, has changed when I have my next reading. I know people that had six readings for sure. In our institute, we had several people who had several readings with us already over the past seven, eight years. Um, so that's about karma. Um, answering your question, hopefully, um, to your satisfaction. Yeah. So, so just one more question, and I, I don't, you know, I don't know whether this is too personal. Um, yeah, that's right. But I'm, I'm just curious about the specifics of your karma, because compared to most people, I mean, you've really endured a lot in your life, a lot of suffering. And sometimes yeah. when we experience suffering, part of healing is to look at how do we make sense out of our own human suffering, you know, and that that really is what my podcast is all about. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm just curious if the the reader told mm -hmm. you specifically what the things were that you did that brought this on and if that in any way made it easier to to grok easier to make sense out of your suffering and then move on yeah i mean he told me that the whole story who i was when i lived uh, where i lived and actually the, the the bad deed that i that i did uh, in my previous life wasn't even that bad i just betrayed someone i didn't uh, like slaughter someone i didn't kill people i just betrayed but this one act was so strong against my otherwise very pure soul that it created a karma for me to remember okay this is why why you're now suffering to just make me aware of the energies uh, in in general to know that it's my doing and by accepting it's my doing which i did before already but now connected to something and then by doing the work that i did to help lift it and overcome it so it's my, I'm a thousand percent convinced that um, we can heal ourselves. We can. And uh, I can only talk about what I'm talking about. And I've been coaching people for, I don't know, 25 years or so, way more than just in palmy readings. Um, I would say 20,000 people or so uh, um, guided um, so far. I can only be authentic if I can share with you true pain, like I know how it feels. And the best healers, they say, are wounded healers, someone who can actually tell you and, and empathize with you and understand your struggles, because I also went through struggles. If I lived in an ivory tower and had no idea what it means to have no money or no idea what it means to not suffer from anything, well, then how can I help anyone else? I cannot really. Uh, but I can because I know how it feels to be um, in a hospital bed. I know how it feels to having to flee because we were exposed to gunshots uh, during the revolution in Iran. I know what, how it feels to fear for your life, like literally fear for your life. I know what it means to be deeply, deeply uh, depressed. Um, think about suicide too. I'm very open about it too because um, I did. I did. Absolutely I did. Was I ever that close to actually pulling the trigger? No, I wasn't because then I backed off and I thought, okay, what exactly am I doing here? But I understand suffering. I really do. And all that I did is just uh, trying to understand um, why am I here? Can I get healed from it? Uh, can I see a meaning behind all this that's happening? And I see the meaning of all the suffering that I personally went through come uh, through when I help another person. That is when I understand, when somebody comes to me, hugs me, kisses me, says, oh my God, thank you so much. Then, and I do a lot of things for free. So I'm not doing, um, as you know yourself, if you're in the healing world, then we will never make money, period. It's, it's more a giving thing than anything else. But when I see a young kid that I've helped or an older person that I help, and they say, thank you so much. Uh, and they stick with you years and years later when they have really no relationship anymore with them or interaction and they still remember you then i know okay that's the reason why and that is a perfect point for us to end this part on dr q can you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you how they can go through this if they would like to of course sure thing um even though i personally am not a big fan of social media but it's a necessary evil so you can find us everywhere on facebook indian palm reading easy facebook indian palm reading instagram indian palm reading we have a huge youtube channel indian palm reading institute where you can actually watch the whole process from the matching the very first minute till the very last minute 
because we have had wonderful, wonderful supporters throughout the years who allowed us to put their very personal experience onto YouTube so people can see for themselves how the process works. So go to YouTube in the Palmer Reading Institute and you can watch entire readings. And the very first lady who ever allowed us to do so, her name is Dr. Erica Middlemiss, a big shout out to her, who also runs a gigantic uh, podcast, one of the 10 biggest on, on Apple, a uh, big fan and big supporter. She just said, you know what, Dr. Q, I even not, even though she hadn't yet done it, she said, you know what, let's just put it all on YouTube. I promise you right away we can do it. With her crying, the whole emotions, it's on YouTube so you can watch it. And then after that, when people saw what Dr. Erica did, said, oh, I, I'm going to do it too. So Reverend Bill out of Sacramento, he's a big supporter. He said, oh, you can put mine on too. Uh, he's in his 70s. Erica is in her uh, early, uh, late 30s. Then I had a 20-year-old kid who I've been mentoring also. Uh, big shout out to Kuba too. He said, you know what? If these people did it, you can put my uh, reading on, uh, on YouTube as well. Uh, so you can see old, young, female, male, you can, you can connect to each one of them and see uh, which one resonates with you. But the process is always the same. It's authentic, it's real, it's unedited, uncurated, and it's right there for you to see. So Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, of course, our website is indianpalmleafreading.com, indianpalmleafreading.com. And um, as a special gift to uh, Bob, who I, uh, I um, enjoy very much, um, to talk to whoever listens all the way to the very end of this uh, podcast now i'd like to uh, give a hundred dollar discount to show my gratitude to uh, uh, bob allowing us to be on his podcast but all you need to do when you sign up uh, through our website you need to mention the healing and spirituality in the world uh, in, in world cultures or bob uh, robert better bob better whatever so we know how you heard about this special discount um, and um, you can then, of course, say thanks to Bob afterwards and say, without you, I would have never heard of this. Um, so that's my gift to Bob's, to Bob and his audience for um, saying thanks, allowing us to be here and talking about it. Dr. Q, it has truly been a pleasure. And I Thank you. really hope our listeners will uh, go ahead and look on Facebook and watch this process and maybe check it out, do it for themselves. So thank you so much for this really inspiring time together. You're most welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Namaste. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Before you go, I wanted to remind you of free healing resources available on my website, www.bobvetter.com. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.